a historical point that you may or may not be aware of. It was 100 years ago this year in May of 1922 that a preacher named Harry Emerson Fosdick, uh, he was actually a Baptist, but he was preaching in the pulpit of one of the prominent Presbyterian churches in the United States, First Presbyterian Church in New York City. And he ascended the pulpit, and the title of his sermon was, Will the Fundamentalists Win? And just so that you know, what he meant by fundamentalist is not what most people around today mean. We usually use fundamentalists to talk about people who say you have to read a certain translation of the Bible, and maybe you have to dress a certain way or have certain cultural norms. What he meant by fundamentalists were what I would simply call believers who were insisting on the truth of Scripture and its inerrancy, and flowing from that, that the virgin birth of Christ actually really and truly happened, and that the miracles of Jesus really happened, and that he was really bodily raised from the dead. And we weren't just talking about resurrection as, as a figment of the apostles' imagination. What, what he meant by fundamentalists were people who were insisting on that the church and, and Christians had to continue with and be founded on those historic facts. So the whole point was, will the fundamentalists uh, win? And in the course of his sermon, he bought, brought out the old saw about Copernicus, you know, that the church opposed him and uh, they were very slow to get on board with science and reality. And how could you believe in a resurrection of the dead when we have electricity and things like this? And at one point in this sermon, he said, uh, and this is a strong statement, penitent shame that the Christian church should be quarreling over little matters when the world is dying in great need. So the virgin birth of Christ, the authority of scripture, uh, the miracles of Jesus, his resurrection from the dead were little matters to him. And the, the consequence, I think, of that, the question of will the fundamentalists win, uh, in 1965, the combined old line Presbyterian church, not the one denomination you're sitting in, but the PCUSA, in 1965 had 4.25 million members. And at the end of 2021, they had 1.25 million members. So they had lost 75% of, pop, of, of their membership. And probably worse than that is that there were only 423,000 people actually gathering for worship. You understand your membership role can be bigger than your attendance. So really only uh, a third of their members were in pews every morning. And so I don't tell you that story so that you could gloat or look down. It's, it's really more a matter of grief, sadness, trouble, uh, sorrow, uh, but it does really raise a historical flag that I want to put out there that when you give away the inspiration and the authority of Scripture, the plenary, that means full all the way through from Genesis to Revelation, when you give away the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture, that what we have from Scripture is really God's Word given to people by the Holy Spirit— you really have given away the farm. You've, you've given away the farm. Now, why are we talking about that today? Well, because 
we have been talking about everyday gospel. And we have said our salvation, our peace with God is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And today we're talking about according to the scriptures alone that the scriptures alone give God's witness and testimony to what he has done in and through Christ so that we may be saved. And this comes through people by the Holy Spirit. And the the Bible that you have in your hands or in your pew really is God's word. Um, It's God's word because it's given by the Holy Spirit and therefore it's without error in all that it says. So we just want to unpack that today. I think that uh, this is probably uh, a weakness that we we want to work on. And you could go and and look at the scriptures that are in there. In other words, you may assent to this truth, but you may not really have the biblical backing for it. So we're trying to help you sort of shore up your biblical backing for the inspiration and authority of scripture. So let's let's launch into that today. Uh, We're saying everyday gospel for you and you understand that gospel and apply it by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone. So if you look on page 11 in your worship guide, and these will come up on the screen one by one, let's begin with the words of Jesus in Luke 24. He says, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's meeting with the apostles and disciples to give them Uh, the brief 40-day Bible college education so that they're ready for mission. And he says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is what I've been telling you all along, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And just to remind you again, the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, were the three divisions of the Old Testament Bible. So this is just looking at the Old Testament and saying, everything that was in there about me had to be fulfilled. Why did it have to be fulfilled? Because it was the word of God and what God says has to come to pass. And then if we move on, then Peter, his disciple, picks this up and now he's writing to Jews and Gentiles scattered throughout Asia, telling them about this great salvation that we have in Christ. And this is what he says. He says, concerning this salvation that we have in Jesus, the prophets, so he's taking one group out of the Old Testament canon who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. So these these prophets were prophesying and they were thinking, what is this about? They were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So it's very important that this give you, uh, I can't make you have a spark of joy in your heart, but at least in your head, you should say, wow, wowzer, who was speaking through the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, and they included the historical books in that too. It was the very spirit of Christ. It's the spirit of the triune God, which is the spirit of the Father and the Son that the triune God was putting this word together from beginning to end all over thousands of years. And that's who was speaking in and through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and these other prophets. Inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So all of that Old Testament speaking also had a focus. 
It wasn't just random willy-nilly here and there. It did have specific applications to Assyria and Babylon and to specific kings. But in total, what it was doing is it was leading the church under age, the church in the Old Testament, to the conclusion about Jesus' sufferings and the glories that would follow. And this, this com- comports exactly, it agrees exactly with the rest of Luke 24 if we went back and read that. That he opened their minds to understand the scriptures so that they could see that what was written there was that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So the the conclusion that that I want you to get from this is that the Old Testament, in in its totality, was penned by men through the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit controlled the outcome of that, and it is the very words of God. And if you look at this next text from 2 Peter 1.21, and and I just want to mention, those of you who know your Bible, I'm skipping 2 Timothy 3.16 because we we overuse that. I'm I'm doing inspiration in a little different way. And that one says, all scriptures God breathed. We may come back to that, but this is really saying the same thing. It says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So you have to be really convinced when somebody says, these are just the words of men. These are just the words of men. Well, Peter disagrees with you. Peter disagrees with the person who says that. It it didn't originate simply in their will. But men really spoke. It didn't originate with them. It wasn't controlled by them. But they really spoke with their own personalities in their own historical setting with the imprint of their personality on it. But look what happened. They spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this Greek word being carried along means that you bear someone like a donkey takes someone to a destination. They're going to end up where they're supposed to end up. So, So real men spoke the real word of God. So the, the point that we want to make here, I, I'm sure that for most of you I'm preaching to the choir, but it's, it's actually really super important that you have a biblical foundation for what you think about this. All of the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, all aspects of the Old Testament are God-breathed, given by the Holy Spirit, and they are God's words. They are the word of God. And their focus is on the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow Now, why should this make any difference to you in terms of of everyday gospel? So I I would just ask you, when was the last time that you were reading through the Old Testament, reading slowly, reading thoughtfully, and the Holy Spirit really got hold of you and said, oh, look, I'm leading you through this text directly to the risen Christ. So maybe you were reading those long passages in Exodus about the covering of the tabernacle being made out of dyed porpoise skins. And suddenly it occurred to you how holy God was and how he had had to make a place to dwell on earth. And that sacrifices had to be offered for worshipers to come into his presence. And you would be dumbstruck and say, wow, Jesus God with us, tabernacled among us. And he's offered a final sacrifice so that I might be now in my, in my room reading my Bible, 
accepted by God and in his presence with privileges greater than the great high priest of the Old Testament. I'm better off than Aaron. I'm better off than Aaron was. I'm better off than Moses was in my access to God. And so you, you, you think about this. What, what we're aiming for here is for you to be able to say, like the guys on the road to Emmaus, here they are, they're walking along. It's, the, it's Sunday, of, it's Easter Sunday, the day of the resurrection, and they're walking from Jerusalem, and they're really disillusioned because they had hoped that Christ would be the Messiah, that he would be the Savior. And now he's been crucified. And Jesus comes up and walks with them and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? They don't recognize him. They're kept from recognizing him. And they pour out their whole story. Don't you know what's going on about Jesus of Nazareth? He was a mighty prophet, uh, but he was crucified. And now some of our women came this morning from the tomb and said they saw angels and that he wasn't there. And we, we're, we're confused and, and probably discouraged. And Jesus speaks to them. And he says, how foolish you are. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then he said, beginning with the law of Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them everything that was said in all the scriptures about himself. That he would have to suffer and then enter into his glory. That was the content. You see, this content comes up to be the same way all the time. The focus of the Old Testament is to point us to Christ, his sufferings, and his glory. He goes on and, and breaks bread with them. He sits down and breaks bread. They recognize him, and he goes away. And what's their response? Didn't his words burn in our hearts? Didn't we have hearts on fire? And what I'm saying to you is that those Old Testament scriptures were penned through the power of the Spirit of Christ. And if you know Jesus today, it's the same Spirit of Christ that lives within you that opens up the scriptures and gives you a burning heart, even obscure passages in the Old Testament. And, and we have to say, and this is one of Harry Emerson Fosdick's big complaints, that some people have taken the inspiration of scripture uh, as mechanical dictation, you know, as like automatic writing that the Holy Spirit was talking in their ears and they just pinned it down. That's not the case. It's not the way Scripture presents it. Jeremiah has all the faults and foibles and depressions and struggles of Jeremiah. And yet the Holy Spirit was carrying him along to produce the inspired Word of God given by the Holy Spirit. And so we don't have a simple mechanical view of inspiration. And we always want to insist that in its broad, in its broad strokes, it's focused on sufferings and glory. And it doesn't mean that you can't pay attention to all the details of the text and really enjoy the literary value of something like the book of Ruth, but ultimately it's pointing you forward to Christ, his sufferings, and his glory. So I, I hope that you, maybe you'll keep this uh, outline that we have on page 11 in your worship guide and think about it so that you can have a doctrine of inspiration and authority of the Old Testament. Let's move on then after that to the New Testament and talk about it because I think sometimes even this gets a little more lost to us. Let's look at Ephesians 3, 1 through 5. Paul is writing to both Jews and Gentiles in the church He's particularly addressing Gentiles. 
uh, about his ministry. And he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, then he pauses and sort of says, I assume, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So it's very clear. I want you to hear that. Something was revealed to Paul. He didn't make it up. It was revealed to him. As I have written briefly. Now, we don't have that. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles. And those are New Testament apostles and New Testament prophets. How? By his spirit. So earlier, just in the chapter before in Ephesians, he says, The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So you see that bound up with the work of Christ, the once-for-all work of Christ, is a revealing action of God in which he, he interprets for us what Jesus has done through apostles and prophets, and that becomes foundational for the whole church. And when you look at this, what is this mystery that he's talking about? Well, it's not as if the Old Testament didn't talk about it at all, but it simply wasn't brought out in the fullness of light. God had said long ago to Abraham, all nations, all the Gentiles would be blessed through you. There's a thread through there, but it was kept hidden in a certain way that was made clear to the Apostle Paul that now with the resurrection and ascension of Christ, that the gospel was for all nations and that Jews and Gentiles were the people of God together in one body. And the verse I didn't print says that immediately after that. So the, the point we're making here is that, that Paul clearly is claiming for the apostolic band and the prophetic band there, they're receiving revelation just like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Moses. This is the inspiration of Scripture. And if, you, if that doesn't convince you, flip over to the next page in your worship guide or look in the slot, at the slide. Look what he says in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. He says this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Uh, how could we be, how could he be more clear in terms of his own self-understanding and what he's received? This preaching of the gospel, this, this unveiling of the mystery of Christ, built on the foundation of Old Testament apostles, now attested, uh, uh, Old Testament prophets, now attested by New Testament apostles and prophets, it is the Word of God. And that's how you received it. And because it's the Word of God, it has power to work in you. Notice he says, this, is the, this gospel preaching is at work in you believers. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we could go on uh, later. I think we'll talk about effectual calling. How, how people are raised from the death to life is by this word given power by the Holy Spirit to give new hearts and lives. And that's really what he's intimating right there. But the point that we want to make here today is that this apostolic preaching and writing really, really is the word of God. It's, it's just like what Moses got on the mountain. It, it carries the same weight. 
Now, one of the things that is important for you to see is that the Scripture is self-authenticating, and we'll come back to that. And you see this in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, and I think these are obscure verses that many people maybe haven't seen before. Uh, look at 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. He says, Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. These matters were about the return of Christ. There are some things in them, that is in Paul's letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Whoa. 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 Already... And this just speaks volumes to, to centuries of liberal theology. Already, there is a canon of Paul's letters that are extant out there. He talks about more than one letter in Paul's letters. He's writing some things that you might not understand. And he equates them with the other scriptures. That the origins of the Bible that we have in the New Testament go all the way back. Now, I think that derivatively, you would, I hope that you would agree with me that that whole apostolic complex, including the Gospels as they come from apostolic testimony and the other letters of the New Testament, really come under this same rubric. So we're simply saying the same thing over again, that the New Testament, like the Old Testament, is given by God through the Holy Spirit as men with their particular personalities and quirks and struggles, and, and, you know, Paul is still able to say, I'm the chief of sinners, um, of whom I'm the worst, <laughs> uh, that he was writing and speaking the very word of God by the Holy Spirit. So that's the inspiration and authority of Scripture. And because it's inspired, because it's given by the Holy Spirit, it has authority and power in everything that it touches and is without error. And as I think about what Paul's saying here, I was reminded of a movie that you've probably forgotten. A long, two decades ago, Bruce Willis made a movie called The Sixth Sense. And uh, in this movie, kind of a quirky movie, he is a, a, a child psychologist. And as you open up the movie, he is working with a young child and counseling this child who, who says he sees ghosts and interacts with ghosts. He's always talking with, with ghosts and things. So the whole movie is him, him working with his child and whatnot. And you're, you're carried along in the narrative. You hope the child's going to be okay and everything. And I guess I have to give you a spoiler alert. So you have to, if you want to see it, you've got to close your ears because this is a big punchline. You go through the whole thing thinking that Bruce Willis is counseling this child. And what you find out at the end is that, that he's actually had died and this was, you know, sort of a ghost thing. That is a big twist. Now, if you had paid attention all the way through, you could have gotten hints of it. But then the punchline comes at the very end. And in some ways, that's what Paul is saying. He's not saying it was never, ever any concern of the Old Testament to show you that the Gentiles would be included among the people of God. It was there, but it was never prominent or predominant. And now with the resurrection of Christ, this is the predominant thing. The gospel is going to go to the nations, and it's going to include people of every tribe and language and nation and tongue. They don't have to be circumcised. And this is the very word of God, preaching Christ crucified and raised from the dead according to the scriptures. 
ascended in glory, his sufferings and his glory. So now, what do we want to do with this? Well, what I want to emphasize to you, and I've already kind of spilled the beans, I think, a little bit, is that um, Dan Brown and others have tried to convince people uh, popularly that a group of bishops got together in 325 in Nicaea and somehow, you know, through all kinds of political ploy and stuff, made up the canon. And I just want to tell you, Nicaea had nothing to do with the canon. It had nothing to do with the books of the Bible. And what you want to be able to say to yourself is that the Bible itself is self-authenticating. And my question for you again today is, are you reading it and meditating on it yourself as the Word of God so that you can participate in the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow? That you would be able to say, uh, with all the fullness of application, I died with Christ when he suffered. I've trusted in him and I died with him. My sins are forgiven. All my shame, all my past uh, life that, that came before that was washed clean. I've been counted righteous and not only that, but I've been raised to life with him. And so really I'm seated with him in heavenly places. My, my life is secure with Christ. So no matter which part of the New Testament you're reading, you might be reading something that, that, that's really difficult, like don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's good for building others up according to their needs. Uh, that's a hard text, isn't it? Where are you going to get the resources for that kind of thing? You're only going to get the resources up for that by, by repairing to, by leaning on the fact that Christ has suffered and that I've been crucified with him and that I've been raised with him. I've been given a new heart and a new mind that can speak encouraging gospel words to other people instead of complaining and grumbling and, and whatnot. So all the applicatory things all the things about being chosen and predestined, you, you name it all, you want it to run an intersection through his sufferings and his glory and the gospel going to the nations. It just challenges you that the rest of that, Luke 24 says that just as, as everything is about Christ suffering and then rising from the dead, it's also about repentance and forgiveness of sins being proclaimed to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And that means in Lexington here as well. So we just want to let the scriptures, the inspired word of God, speak to us in that way. I have one final point to make that I'm going to make briefly because we need to come to the Lord's Supper. And that's from 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 14. And this is very, very important. It says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Okay, what are some of the things of the Spirit of God? Well, one of the primary things of the Spirit of God is Scripture, right? That's what we've been working on this whole time. And the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They're folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And, and the point that we want to make on this is, is very, very simple. And it's contained in our secondary standards in, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1. I commend to you reading it. 
It's a, it's a long paragraph that says something like this. You might be moved by the excellence of the subject matter of the Bible, the consent of all the parts, what it tells you about God. And they just go on phrase after phrase after phrase saying how wonderful the Word of God is. But then they say, but the only way that someone will be convinced that it is the Word of God is by the work of the Holy Spirit. So we're saying that the scripture is self-authenticating. It has to be its own witness. If you put anything else behind it as a witness, that becomes your final authority. The scripture is self-authenticating, and you come to understand it by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. So I'm sure if we could go around and hear everybody's testimony in this room, um, you know, I was a pagan guy who had no concern about anything related to scripture would not think that it was true or authoritative in, at all. And that's what I was one moment. And then hearing and believing the gospel, I got up off my knees believing that this is the word of God. And so what does that mean for you? What that means for you is that you have the freedom to not be um, Kokel. Is he the, the resident apologist now? There's a guy named Kokel. He writes things. Or Lee Strobel. Or you don't have to be an expert in intelligent design. What you can do is you can say, would you like to read the Bible with me? I don't believe the Bible. That's okay. Let's just read a few chapters of it and get together and discuss it. And let it be self-authenticating and let it have the power of the Holy Spirit in it to work with other people. And this is how people get raised from the dead. Now, I had a great illustration for that that I'm going to save and give you a, another day because we, we need to come to the Lord's Supper now. So, brothers and sisters, this is God's Word in your Bible. Uh, those 66 books, uh, the Old Testament's inspired, the New Testament's inspired. It's authoritative in everything it says, and its focus is the sufferings of Christ and His glories to follow. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we come to you now, and we pray that you would... Uh, encourage and strengthen your people. And Lord, we pray that any who are listening who don't yet believe this would dig into your word and let you show them that it really is true. We praise you, Jesus, that you're the focal point, your life, death, resurrection, your reign now in heaven is the, the central focus of all the scriptures. And, and glory goes to you and to the triune God. So as we come now um, to your table, Lord, we pray that you would feed us uh, with this visible word that preaches the gospel to our senses. Will you have your way with us in Jesus' name? Amen.